This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 1500 ESPN. Are you a hoarder or are you a minimalist, Matthew Collar, if you had to pick one? I would say somewhere in between. There are more things that I would like to throw out. But my house, you can walk through it. It's not, it's not like I'm climbing over junk. But I have like not like Judd's car then. No, but, but, but or the, my office. My car is pretty bad. It's just it's got hockey skates and there's a pillow and there's a ball pump and just like sports. Oh, way to things. go! Nice yeah, that pillow. Just, that there. sounds disgusting. Yes. That sounds like my car. In your no, it's it's not great. I just cleaned it out the other day. What ends up in my car all the time is cans. Always end up with soda cans because if I'm driving, I live out in Burnsville right now, right. so I'm coming in here. Got the traffic. Why don't you guys have garbage bags that you just? I do sometimes. I yeah. do that you take out of your car though and throw away because until it's Depends filled up, if it's I a gar- remember it's a garbage bag. So it's gross. meant to be filled up. Ugh. So I throw so cans and bottles I, in there. So I know that your car is probably just smell like French fries and like dried sugar. Then not at, me. At times, yeah, probably. No, I don't. French fries. I don't. If, if I've got French fries in my car, I'm eating the whole bag of them. <laughs> Speaking of so which, there might be French fries. offering. Yeah, so there might be a French fry bag in my car, but my car doesn't smell the food because I'm eating the food. Okay. We'll do a smell test later. Maybe, You're more maybe than welcome to come off. to my car post-show and take a whiff. That's okay, actually. So, Collar on 1500ESPN.com, you have a piece that attempts to quantify just how much better the Vikings offense would be Output-wise, how many points better would they be with a better offensive line? Uh, mostly in the run game. Okay. Because in the pass game, I think it's really tricky to try and figure that out. But in the run game, it's a little easier. So I looked at the how teams rated by pro football focus on their total offensive line, which the Vikings were 30th, and that's a little generous. But you had Seattle last year that was just, they were playing a former power forward at left tackle or something, right? I mean, they were playing a guy who'd never played before. Um, But uh, the Vikings were in bad shape. And if you look at it, how teams ran in terms of the expected points that they had, which is just basically, did you score more points or less than you should in any given situation, right? So if you have first down and 10 from the 20-yard line, how many points are expected to be scored in that situation, and so on and so on. So if you took the average amount of points per year that you would score, and then you'd look at the expected, did you produce more or less above average? So just put it that way. Okay. And that's the simplest way that I can put it. And the Vikings basically lost 59 points above an average team or below an average team. Wait, in, in just, just the running game? Just running Wait, last year. Just last year. Just last year, just running, they lost 59 points. So um, That's above average, not above the best. It was almost 100 above the best. So so compared to average, they, they lost out on four points per game just running the football because of their offensive line. That is what pro football focus, pro football reference that, that's, estimates. That's, that's an makes, aggressive that makes sense, number. It does, because if, if you think about it, how many times did they not punch the ball into the end zone? How many third downs did they give up because they failed to get third down and one? Wow. And not only that, but how many times did you start out with second and eleven? 
I mean, right there, if you start out with second and 11, your expected points is going way down from if you had second and two. Because second and two, you have a really good chance of moving on in that drive and eventually scoring. Second and 11 or second and 12 because TJ Clemmings got blown up by Jadavian Clowney and Jarek McKinnon ran backwards. Like, you're not in a great shape. To continue memories. that drive, once memories. Yeah. Yeah. You're, oh, you're memories. bringing yes. back a flood of Ozzy yes. out of being well, stuck. I believe. I believe pro f- uh, football outsiders tracks. <laughs> it, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but those short yardage, yes. Yes. those what you call it situations, where it's literally just fourth and one, third and one, and it's we're lining up against your guys. And ordinarily, teams are converting, good teams are converting 65, 70% of those. The Vikings, I think, were less than 50% on those plays. They were, and it's also a really bad plan. That Mike Zimmer is a very, very smart coach, but he has things, that I think, that stick in his mind that he just needs to do. And one of those is line up our big guys versus your big guys and prove that we're more football. Yes. But it's just not a smart play. Like There was a study a few years ago about how every team has handled third and short, fourth and short, and all the different plays that they've used, everything down to handing it off to the fullback. We're more football. I'm laughing at that. And and putting putting the eye form in and stuffing as many big fat people in the same spot. Because football. Because and and Zimmer even had a quote that was something like that. Like you just gotta prove you got more will. Like I'd rather prove I have a touchdown. Right. But uh, the most successful play is to spread the field and run a quarterback sneak, which they never did last year. Patriots. Now, exactly. They they do it at a little higher level than other teams. They're like 95%. Yep. But most teams are converting third and fourth and one if they quarterback sneak, if they do the spread sneak at about 80 or more percent. The I-form thing is about 50% or a little bit above. So even good teams with good offensive lines are struggling when they put all the fat people in the same spot. There's no room to get yards. You just run into fat people and bounce off them. And especially if you have Nick Easton. Sounds like the state fair to me. (laughs) You have Nick Easton starting at center uh, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Matt Asiata is your running back. I'm not even, I don't think Matt Asiata has a job yet, right? He does not. Nick Easton weighs like only slightly more than Judd does. He's like an okay backup, but he is not a guy that's just going to blow up a nose tackle. And yet they're still going with the eye form, slam it into the line. Which is so interesting because of this. For all the stuff that Zim does on defense, different formations, mixes things up, it's funny because his teams offensively really hold the form of this is how football works, right? Yeah. Like like he doesn't – there's certain things where Zim doesn't want to get outside that box, and I don't know if it's because he doesn't – know it as well, but you do see certain things, especially offensively, where you can tell he's thinking to himself, damn it, it worked in 1975 and it's going to work like, now, and you're like, well, no, just adjust. In general, if, if, if you're talking about productivity offensively in almost any sport, baseball doesn't really count because it's, it's pitcher versus hitter, but mm-hmm. basketball, hockey, spacing is yes. important. Yep. And Absolutely. what you're explaining is very simple. If you If you have two different potential options for gaining a yard or two in a short-yarded situation, do you want to essentially line up a wall against their wall mm-hmm. and see which wall can move the other wall? I mean, Especially if you have a bad wall, if you if you have the worst <laughs> wall in the league. Because if your wall doesn't move their wall forward, then whoever has the ball likely isn't going to gain a yard or two. But if you create space and gaps and holes, you don't need to out-football them. Right. You can just 
slide into an open area for two yards and fall flat like Tom Brady does. If you just think about what would you want the other team to do if you were on defense? Would you want them to run right into Linval Joseph? The strongest man in the league. I, like, I think I'll take that. Yeah, all right, go ahead. You run at our guy that we pay millions and millions of dollars to do just this. This is his talent. This is his skill. As opposed to running at the outside where there's cornerbacks or whatever other combination of things that you could do. So that was a big part of it, I think. Uh, that Jacksonville game is a great example of where they could have won 42-21, to 21, and instead it was fairly close because they just couldn't convert on those. But... I mean, even putting yourself in bad situations, if they are better at it this year and get to an average team, they are gaining huge number of points. It's kind of, I mean, I, I don't know the best way to look at it other than if you're in the middle, most of those teams are about the same. So the difference between the 10th and 20th team is maybe a point or two a game. Okay, but right? let's 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 put it this way. So I know in baseball, for instance, over the course of 162 games, your plus-minus run differential is pretty close to what your record's going to be. So if you are if you score the exact same amount of runs over the course of six months as your opponent, you're going to be 81 and 81 or 80 and 82 with pretty few exceptions. And then obviously that goes up if you have a 30 run plus or 50. Mm-hmm. Does that work the same way in football? So if you were to add, let's, let's make the Vikings a league average offensive line and give them league average running game output. So add 59 points, like you were saying at the beginning of the segment. If you added 59 points to their total last year, what would their plus-minus be, and what would their record be projected? Uh, they're definitely in the playoffs, I think. They win I, both Detroit like games, nine I can or, tell you that. Nine, nine or ten wins, maybe? I think they they probably get at least one or two more wins last season. And they would have gone from being, in terms of expected points for their entire offense, mm-hmm. they would have gone from being like 22nd, to the middle of the league, like 15th or 16th, which would be a major difference. And so, I mean, if you're dead last in running and you don't have an unbelievable passing game, it's really hurting your offense. If you're 10th or you're 20th, it probably isn't making that big of a difference. It's it's kind of an incredible gap what the difference is between even 32nd and 22nd versus 10th and 20th because so many teams are in the middle of being average running teams. Yeah. But if you are averaging 3. Point, what was it? 3.2 yeah. yards per carry and that one that was with a surge at the end of the year. Yeah, too. Right. Yes. You are you are just you are just handing the other team points and you're ending drives when you shouldn't be and I think that's where even if you have the same Sam Bradford this year I think a lot of people expect a better Sam Bradford I kind of don't I kind of expect him to be about the same but if you have that I can almost guarantee the run game is going to be better I mean I don't like to bet anything on sports because it's just too random and I don't have a lot of money to lose but when you're talking about uh, being that bad, and then you draft a center, you draft uh, the top running back or one of the top running backs, and pick up two other linemen that specialize in run blocking, I think I'd be willing to put money that they're going to move up into the middle of the league. Yeah, Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com, or you can read read the, the full story if you want to dive into the meat and potatoes where he goes in and uh, just examines how bad the Vikings were running the ball and in those short yarded situations. Let's come back here. There's a perception about Sam Bradford that might actually be incorrect. We should talk about when we come back. Mackey and Judd, Matthew Collar. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You're both too hard-headed to see each other's <laughs> arguments? That might be it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. 
Judd's Fair Catch. Mackie and Judd's Hard Count. Mackie and Judd's Two-Minute Drill. Yeah, we're talking football, all kinds of football, with Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com, the Purple Podcast. If you haven't subscribed to or checked out the Purple Podcast with Ben Gessling, Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar, it is absolutely hands down the best Vikings podcast you're going to find anywhere on the interwebs. So check it out. iTunes, Podcast One, uh, all of the places you can find podcasts. So I think the narrative, we've we've talked so much about Sam Bradford the last six months because now that Adrian Peterson's gone, this really is Sam Bradford's offense. It's the first time a team has fully catered to Sam Bradford you could say maybe that one year in Philly, but even that was that was Chip Kelly coming in. Uh, that was a, a stopgap quarterback situation. Probably the first time since early St. Louis days for, for Sam Bradford that he's had an offense catered to him like he will in 2017. And the narrative surrounding him is dink and dunk, career yards per attempt among the lowest of any regular starter in the NFL, dink and dunk on third down, that he's not a guy who's going to take a chance. He's the Alex Smith 2.0 quarterback of the NFL. I present to you, gentlemen, however, this interesting nugget. Not only did Sam Bradford lead the NFL according to Kean Fahey's quarterback study from 2016, which you can go follow. It's, it's C-I-A-N, Kean Fahey. Go follow him on Twitter. He is, is it pre-snap reads, Matthew? Yes, pre-snap, pre-snap reads. reads. It's wonderful stuff. So Sam Bradford's accuracy percentage, including all passes, was 84% last year. Far better than all the other quarterbacks in the league. It was better than Drew Brees by 4%, better than Aaron Rodgers by 4%, better than Luck, Wilson, Brady. Tom Brady was a 75% accuracy passer last year. Bradford was 84. Bradford also threw a lot more shorter passes. Mm -hmm. You might, well, but like, what happens when he throws deep? Uh, He was the most accurate at that, too. Yes. Sam Bradford on throws that traveled 21-plus yards in the air. Accuracy percentage, 65%. Tom Brady was 38. There's only one other quarterback who's above 60. Most are below 50. Rodgers is below 50. Rivers is below 50. Dak, Brady, all below 50. So when he does throw a ball down the field, 21, 22, 30 yards down the field, he's accurate two-thirds of the time. Mm -hmm. So... What what's missing here? Right, we we've talked about this with Sam Bradford. It's the arm talent is incredible. He is one of the most accurate. I don't know how you could watch him and not think that. If you're critical of Sam Bradford, I don't think that that's the thing that you get to anywhere. He made the throw against Green Bay to Stefan Diggs that was one of the throws of the year. He's getting hit. He launches it 25 yards down the middle of the field into an extremely tight window. Diggs brings it in for a touchdown. He did that routinely. He was dropping it in the bucket 30 yards down the field to Adam Thielen against Jacksonville. You could think of a ton of different throws that he made that were just eye-popping, all-world, number one overall draft pick throws. But it's hard not to keep coming back to, on third downs, he has one of the worst yards per attempt in the league Every year of his career. So there's a disconnect, I think, between what he can do with his arm and what he can do with his feet and his mind. Because if you look at a game like the Philadelphia Eagles game or the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving, 
there are a lot of times where I think defenses just fooled him. They know what he, especially the Eagles, they had seen him the entire year before. They knew what he did well. They knew what he didn't do well. And they would disguise coverages and get him to check down on plays where he wasn't even uh, pressured at all. And I think that that's where the major shortcoming comes from Bradford and why he can't get to that next level of those guys that you just named. And also, yeah, the accuracy percentage, though, throwing intermediately was not that good. So very short, very long, was excellent. He's the Houston Rockets of quarterbacks. Yes. He's kind of the opposite of Teddy Bridgewater because Bridgewater was not good very long, but was excellent intermediate. And if you look at some of those, like Tom Brady and some of those other superstars, they're quite a bit above him for those intermediate, talking about like a 10 to 15-yard throw. And that was the thing. We didn't see many of those last year that were really good, and those are the ones that you use on third downs to get a third down and 10. They're the ones that sustain drives and pick up big chunks of yardage because you can only throw down the field so many times. So I think sometimes uh, statistics do a very good job of uh, of painting a player's uh, strengths and potential weak weaknesses. I think sometimes statistics mislead you a little bit, and the eye test helps a lot. When you watched Bradford last year, though, what did you see? Because in those first four starts, we saw a guy who looked fantastic. We saw a guy who was really good. And and pro- I'll give you this. The running game was awful. The offensive line continued to drop off. Mm-hmm. But you did see a guy, I think, in person and on film who, when you watched him, became more and more conservative to the point of you got to a game in Thanksgiving Day in Detroit, for instance. Perfect example. Where the offensive line's not terrible. And he's he's seeing so many ghosts by that point Mm -hmm. that opportunities that are there, he simply didn't take advantage of, not because they didn't exist, but because he couldn't stay there, stay in there long enough to do it. I also think that teams figured out what their plan was to maximize Bradford's skills. It was throw only short and only super long because they didn't have time for long developing routes when they did. He got hit very, very hard because T.J. Clemmings couldn't block anyone. I think of the Chicago game. When I looked at the Chicago game on film, I was blown away at how it was so Norv Turnery that you just couldn't believe it. How big the change was. 11-step drops. Yes, really. Zigzagging I mean, was, routes down like, the field. That started in in Philly, right? Yes, it did. But Norv it, sort of got control again, and it all sort of went sideways. In Chicago, though, there weren't even options for him to throw short a lot of times on plays. It was all guys running 10 to 15-yard routes. And it was almost like... Do you, Remember like the old film when the quarterback would drop straight back with his shoulders kind of squared? And you're like, now they drop back with the front shoulder facing the offensive line. Yes. They would drop straight back. It was like... 1963. Take, yeah, like, take, it's like when you play Tecmo Super Bowl and the field is it's it's like disproportionately horizontal. <laughs> yes. And your quarterback just runs straight back yes. and throws a bomb down yes. the field. I the North, that, I, North Turner coordinated every offense in Tecmo Super Bowl. I think that's what they wanted. But he wasn't even that good at making those throws. It wasn't just that... The, he couldn't get time to to make them. He wasn't making right. them accurately. And there were and there were times in that Chicago game where they had chances to come back and win, and he didn't make a big throw that potentially he could have. So I think what you have is a quarterback that struggles sometimes when teams know how to game plan against him. Now the run game, I tend to believe that run game and pass game don't really connect with each other. You hear it all the time. Well, the Vikings on play action last year were a great example, right? Yes, they were one of the best in the league. Without Adrian Peterson. Yep, one of the best in the league. 
However, I would say this, that if you have no running game whatsoever and you are dead last in the NFL, you could play two high safeties and be like, all right, you're not going to throw down the field in this situation, even though you can and you're great because we've got two safeties deep. So we're not going to let Adam Thielen get behind us. And knowing Sam Bradford, he won't throw into that situation, even though maybe he can Someone like Cam Newton will throw more incompletions and more interceptions than Sam Bradford a lot of the time because he'll make that throw, and sometimes it'll work for him in a big situation at the end of a game on a final drive or when you're down. He'll make that big throw into double coverage because he knows he can and he's got outrageous arm talent, where Sam Bradford, even when you're down, even when you're losing, when this is a you-have-to-make-that-throw situation, he'll still dump it down. Well, that brings us to our next nugget of information here from uh, the pre-snap reads. It's like a manuscript. This thing's amazing. If you're a football junkie, go go. I think it's 20 bucks, and Kean writes articles for 1500ESPN.com. Throw him a bone. Go buy this thing. Um, so created touchdowns and created receptions is another thing that he tracked from last year. Basically, how many times did you throw a bad pass that shouldn't be caught, but you were bailed out in some way by a really good catch or a receiver who made an adjustment midair or something? Sam Bradford last year, now maybe he's not throwing as many of these, so that's possible. These are just counting numbers. Had zero touchdowns created by just a receiver going up and making a play that he shouldn't. And only seven receptions in 15 games for Bradford. Mm -hmm. So basically once every other game, a receiver would go up and make a catch that bails out Sam Bradford. Matt Ryan, because he's throwing to Julio Jones and three touchdowns that were just created by a wobbly bad pass or an errant pass. And there's Julio, one hand up in the air. And 25 receptions on the season. So almost twice per game. Matt Ryan's getting bailed out in some form by a Julio Jones. Derek Carr had four touchdowns created, mm-hmm. probably by Amari Cooper, maybe Michael Crabtree. Who had, Michael Crabtree had, I think, a one-handed catch on a highlight reel last year. Um, and, and again, averaged a couple per game. Dak Prescott had three touchdowns thrown to Des Bryant and whoever the hell else. So, so that, to me, says even if Sam Bradford were to pull the trigger, he's not looking at Adam Thielen and... Uh, Stefan Diggs as guys who are going to bail him out on a potential 50-50 ball or a pass that goes awry. Yeah, with that, if you have the highest accuracy, you probably have less of a chance of guys bailing you out. Sure. But you also, this is the thing about Sam Bradford and that accuracy number, is that you just have so much less willingness to, or maybe he does, because I think that Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen can both win the ball down the field. If it's thrown, it's a 50-50 ball. Sure. They're not Julio Jones. They cannot do it like Julio Jones. But when you're looking at those interceptable passes and accuracy, you have to keep in mind that someone like Matt Ryan looks at Julio Jones, double covered, and one of those guys is Richard Sherman and says, Screw it. Screw it. He's (laughs) going to catch it. I'm going for it because I think there's a really good chance this guy can catch it. And that's part Sam Bradford doesn't have Julio Jones, but almost nobody does. I think it's also part... Sam Bradford does not make the throw, that he doesn't even believe in his wide receiver to make that throw. Because I think that Bradford is so locked into, I've got to make the right play all the time. I think that he's so locked into that, that he doesn't have that thing that Rodgers or the greater quarterbacks have where they say, I know this isn't the smartest thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. It would almost be like, 
Kobe Bryant took a lot of shots that he shouldn't have taken. Also made a lot of those shots. And especially when you needed a big bucket and it's like, all right, well, I could pass to Smush Parker or <laughs> I can take a bad shot. You know, I can take a bad shot when I still make 40% of my bad shots. If Sam Bradford was taking those bad throws with his arm and the Vikings wide receivers, they probably would have caught a good number of them. But he probably would have thrown another interception or two, and it and he's not going to do that. Wouldn't have been the that, right thing that's to do. A, that's a mental thing. Yeah, that's not going to change. I agree. That's not going to change. Now, what's interesting though about this is that Bradford is going to be put in a position by Pat Shermer, given every chance to succeed on what he does best. Because if our expectation is that he's going to become this gambling roll the dice quarterback, <laughs> that's not gonna it happen. ain't going to happen. That's yeah, not going to happen. Okay, well let's. Uh, there's one more nugget along the lines of what you guys were just talking about at the end of the uh, the, the point there that we should bring up regarding Sam Bradford when we come back. A pecking order at ten o'clock. Mike Golick from Mike and Mike in the morning at ten fifteen. Dan Gladden later on around eleven thirty on Twins. It's Mackie and Judd with Matthew Collar. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Let's all go have some fun. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of Mackie and Judd is brought to you by Grand Casino. All right, Matthew Collar's hanging out with us. We're talking about football-y football things. So much football. All of the football. And we're talking about Sam Bradford. And we're kind of going through this pre-snap reads manuscript which Kean Fahey, who if you're not following him on Twitter or his his work on 1500ESPN.com and uh, and elsewhere, he does a great job. What you did a podcast, a sports analytics department podcast with him as well, didn't you? Yes, and he's a regular guy, regular guest for Dan Lebitard. Yep. Sometimes yeah. goes on Bomani Jones. So yep. he's like the. Uh, quarterback freak boy that spends way too much time (laughs) watching quarterback film and he tracks everything and we're going through some of these interesting sam bradford numbers that he released in his 2016 season uh review one of them here is interceptable passes so just passes that you threw that oh not sure if you should have thrown that or maybe it's a 50 50 ball whatever the case may be and Down near the bottom of the list is conservative Sam Bradford. In fact, among guys who started 15 or 16 games, I believe he was the lowest in terms of interceptable passes with 13. And he played in 15 games. Mm -hmm. So about once per game, maybe not even once per game, was he throwing an interceptable pass. Which on the surface, oh great, good for him. He's He's not really putting himself out there to throw a bunch of interceptions. The guy who threw the most interceptable passes was Brock Osweiler, so with 39, by the way, three times as many as Sam Bradford. So you might say, well, you definitely want to be on that side of the list. Well, Big Ben threw 34 interceptable passes, mm-hmm. partially because he's got a huge arm and will just throw the ball down the field to uh, any number of his star weapons. Tom Brady was at 16, so slightly more than Sam Bradford. Aaron Rodgers threw 18 interceptable passes. What does that mean to you guys? Uh, To me, it means that Sam Bradford is just not taking that many risks. That they probably needed him to take more risks. Aaron Rodgers gets it right almost every time. Even if he gets it wrong, he still gets it right because he's just so brilliant. That's what it, it, that's what makes Aaron Rodgers is the arm talent combined with footwork, combined with absolute brilliance on the field. And so he understands situationally when I need to make a risky, tough throw that might be interceptable or might be into double coverage, I have to do it because we're down late in a game or we're it's the end of the half, and why not? 
go for it here. You know what I mean? As, yeah, right. oppo- as opposed to, well, it's the end of the half, so we got to make sure we don't throw an interception. We've got to just check down, something like that. I think it's the lack of risk that would result in that number. Here's where I'm I'm willing to give Bradford a break until I see how things unfold uh, in 2017. He gets here right before the season starts and then clearly steps into a situation starting in week two where they gear the offense more towards him because they have to, right? And then we hit the bye week, and Norv, something happens there. I have no idea what, but something happened, and Norv got a bit more control back, and then Norv said, okay, here's how I do things, and I want to go back to doing things this way. And so now the Philadelphia and Chicago game, Sam steps into this offense, which might work for some guys, but if you've missed the whole offseason program and training camp, it's tougher. And then Norv up and quits, and now you're back to Shermer. Your offensive line starts to disintegrate. I am willing to wait and see if with Pat Shermer running the show entirely now and Bradford and Shermer having worked the entire off season, I'm willing to now give this a chance to say, okay, with everything fitting what Sam Bradford could potentially do well, is he willing to step outside that box and take some risks? Is he now going to be comfortable? Because I do think the one thing in his defense last year is you can make a pretty good case for the comfort, aside from those first four starts, which I think might have been pretty high, was not there. That's where I'm willing to wait. I don't know what's going to work, but I would be willing to step back and watch this unfold. The only reason that I would agree to some extent sure. is that he has never had an incredibly good situation. If you look at what Derek Carr had in Oakland last year, or if you look at what Kirk Cousins had in Washington, you would say... It just couldn't have been set up better for you. Fantastic offensive lines, playmakers all over the field, good enough or great running game. And in Oakland's uh, case, they had a very good running game. Running backs who you could throw to. uh, In Washington, he's got two tight ends that are like extra wide receivers, but gigantic and, and tough to match up with. You would not say that for Sam Bradford's situation last year. You'd say there was a lot working against him. And this year, it should be a lot better. I just wonder if you can ever get over that problem that we just laid out. That doesn't mean the Vikings offense can't be 16th in the league. They have clearly improved the run game. And as I, as we were talking about earlier, that makes a big difference in points at the end of the year. That you are getting, it may, not as much as a good passing game, but does make a difference. So if you can improve the running game, if you can give him a guy that, like Delvin Cook catches the ball and makes big plays after catching the ball on short dump-off passes, I think you are talking about going from somewhere between 23rd and last in offense. They they weren't Case Keenum offense, but they were 23rd to 26th, whatever way you want to rank it. They're somewhere in there. If you can go from that place to the middle of the league with this defense— you should be a playoff team. I think it's worth noting here in our final minute, and if you want more of this, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, all kinds of meat and potatoes Vikings discussion. The early Philadelphia Andy Reid Eagles team, those Eagles teams from the late 90s through the Super Bowl appearance in 2004-05, it's not like they had best defense in the league. They had decent defenses, Mm -hmm. and they had offenses that were efficient and didn't turn the ball over. And yardage-wise, those offenses ranked 17th, 17th, 10th, 18th, 9th, and 19th and went to the NFC Championship game and a Super Bowl multiple years. Now, they cashed in points-wise 
12th, 9th, 4th, 11th, 8th, 18th. That tells me without looking, good in the red zone, probably good on third down. So can Sam Bradford be that? Right, had the ball a lot probably Mm -hmm. too. When you're toward the bottom when it comes to yards or or middle of the league yards and top and points, you probably were running out the clock on a lot of uh, games at the end, right? Because you're winning. But if you can be somewhere in that, points is the number one to, to look at, obviously, over yards. If you could be somewhere in that range in offensive points, this defense is, I think, maybe not quite as good as it was last year, but it is still very, very stacked and should be should be excellent. And that's why when we picked the schedule, I said, if you're just looking at this roster with this quarterback and an improved running game, you should expect 10-6. and six. If it's less than that, then something went wrong. And now that will determine how we feel about Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. Matthew Collar, 1500ESPN.com. Follow him at Matthew Collar on Twitter, C-O-L-L-E-R. And the Purple Podcast is, and you probably find at least some of this conversation, if you missed all of it, on the Purple Podcast feed later on. Purple too, Podcast so. tomorrow, correct, Matthew Collar? Oh, Are we yeah, doing we'll one be doing it. It'll be a very positive Purple Podcast, I'll I promise. 